Why do I have a feeling that is going to set the tone for the podcast today? So, welcome. Post Daytona 200. It's the Great Scratch Pod with host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. For all of your needs, well, I don't even know, actually, because I'm not an attorney or anything of that nature, Jason, but I can tell you this, that Alex Asante, I bet he was watching the Daytona 200, wishing he was out on the racetrack. He's the guy in charge of Bike911.com, so if you have any legal advice, you need some things taken care of, especially in the grand old state of California or some other places, you call Bike911.com. Well, go to the website. I, I wouldn't, like, I don't know how you would call it on your phone, do you? No. I I wonder if Alex ever rode Daytona. Something tells me he did. I remember him telling me a story about it. Because he rode... Something tells me you need to shut the music off. You're going to shut the music off? It's off. What are we doing? It's off. Huh? What, what was going and going and going? Yeah. What are we doing right I was, now? I was waiting for you to talk right now. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Well, uh, I was already talking. And we got a ton of stuff to talk about, Jason. <laughs> Daytona 200, other Moto America yeah. stuff. There's yeah. uh, AFT race. Race happened. They tried to get races in, but weather, the story, Supercross results, MotoGP preview, Arai News. You want to support the channel, patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV. Uh, also, oh yeah, also we talked to the winner of the Daytona 200. So I got a little quick chat with Brandon Posh that's going to be in here. We're going to roll that. And um, yeah, all the links that you need to know are in the description. So Jay, do you want to catch up or do you want to freaking pin it because we got so much stuff to talk about? Dude, it's... Hey man, look, mm-hmm. this this podcast is going to be long anyways. Yeah, so let's just run it. And uh, we had a like, hey, we had, I had such a good time down there. It was weird though with the weather, but our hotel being right next to, you know, right where it was made it convenient for us because we were literally within walking distance of the speedway. But I just got that Moto America got all the races in. Yeah, I think the only race they didn't get in was the second Super Hooligans race. And it did, they just kind of ran out of time. And what's funny is I talked to so many teams and personnel from Moto America that after... I mean, I'm glad we didn't jump on the bandwagon. I didn't even think about it, to be honest. But everybody changed their flights for Monday because they thought there's no way we're racing on Saturday. So everybody rebooked their Sunday flights for Monday and then couldn't come back and, and book it again. So um, Well, you're glad. I had to extend my rental car and drive home for... I know. I, I get a call. I got up at six in the morning to go to uh, to the airport. And I knew you already had to go, but <laughs> poor Craig had to drive home. Got raped by the car rental company. It's okay. Any any traveling right now is not good. Yeah, it's not good. But it's. It, I mean, I got home, which is great. And you know, I only live seven hours from the track, so it was just that I had three hours of sleep and then started driving at four thirty right. in the morning. But as soon as the sun came up, I was energized and it was good, man. Um. It was a good weekend. I have to tip of the cap to Moto America. What people don't realize is that in this race, Moto America doesn't have carte blanche to make any decision that they want to make. You know, it's got to go through Daytona International Speedway. I mean, it's a, it's, you know, Moto America was invited to come run the event, but there was still a collaboration of things that were going on, whether it was outside the speedway, in the speedway, whatever. And, uh, you know, race control was hard at work getting these things going. And, it was a lot of eyeballs on weather, and there were people from DIS that were staring at the radar screen, Jay, my doppelganger for one of them. And um, they were yes. you know, advising what was going on as well. Like, hey, listen, we think this front's going to push through. And it was just unique. I mean, by the time we got to race day on Saturday and the weather pushed through, I think the race started and it was like 67 degrees. And then by the time the race was over, it was like 59 degrees. It was crazy. Just a crazy weekend. Well, 
there's a couple things I could take away too. It a I'm glad we only had to deal with four classes because you know let's just say for argument's sake we had six it would have made things a lot more difficult. B every race we had came to the line every I mean both baggers races uh, the hooligans race the which let's be honest we I wasn't really sure how all that stuff was gonna work out the hooligans thing. There's still a big disparity in speeds and stuff, and as far as I think equipment goes, there are some cool bikes though, like the bike that Debrino won on, that KTM. I've seen it up close at Chuckwalla. That's a cool bike, and I, you know, is it the FTR, the Indian? That thing is pretty badass too. Like the bike that O'Hara was riding, and and I think Corey West was on one too. But um, cool bikes, like like just kind of that'd be kind of fun to ride them, but. The baggers thing was, I don't know. The baggers thing kind of surprised me. Um, I was shocked at McWilliams winning. I was, you know, it was good to see a couple of the, the Harleys up there. And since, since even Daytona uh, in the last couple of days, I've already heard of some of those teams getting more support from Harley to try to get the guys that that we know can run up front maybe a little bit closer. So we'll talk about some of that, but. But again, the scheduling and this and that, I don't know, I don't know, G-Dub, for me, like, uh, it probably kind of hit me yesterday. I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool that we got to call the Daytona 200. I, you've never actually called the race, right? Like, no, that was long. my first time in the booth for the 200, and I think I've done, oof, I can't remember now, 13, 17 of them. I've done quite a few of them for a lot of years. And, and I kind of put you on the spot there at the end of the show about, was this one of your favorites? And I, for you and I to call this race, I thought was... Um, um, th- there was always something going on. Like it was never boring. You and I, before the start of the race, going like fifty-seven laps, we're thinking, man, two hours long. It's you know, gotta get set in here. And it, but it it went by so quickly because the racing was so good, barring one red flag. The racing was uh was excellent. Yeah, and normally what we see in two hundred, it <clears throat> Daytona two hundred in years past has been mostly experienced people up front. And in this particular case, we had two new riders late in the race that were up front in uh, Sheridan Marias and Cameron Peterson. And I think that Sheridan just kind of didn't care. You know, normally what we see in the 200 is first stint, it's pretty fast and furious, a lot of passing, all that stuff. Yeah. The, set, the first pit stop breaks things up. And then those that are out front in the middle usually just chill. They just chill. They do, they do yeah. decent lap times, but... But they're kind of chill, follow the leader. But it wasn't like that. Mariah's kept, you know, making bids for the front, and Hayes was in there going like, "What's going on?" and all that kind of stuff. So it was, um, it was definitely a different 200. I love the pace of it. But you and I both agreed at the end of it, we looked at each other and was like, "That was a over two hour race." Like, no way. It felt couldn't so believe fast. it. I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, anyways, yeah, we'll talk some more about that here in a second. I know we got some other news that you're going to get to. Yeah, that's right. It so is, that you run into it's it. It's time for yeah. news presented by Arai. All right. Fade this down because I'm a professional. Hey, Jason. Did you know that every Arai helmet, helmet is meticulously handmade by craftsmen and women who are active participants in the Arai mission to brew... Oh my gosh, I'm like brain dead today. To present the highest level of protection and quality from the shell to the paint to the liner, the work is performed by hand, by experience, focus specialists. Just another reason to check out AriAmericas.com. Visit your local Ari dealer for proper fit and killer paint jobs. Go pick yourself up a helmet. AriAmericas.com. 
All right, let's see. What am I going to do? First news item here is going to be... Oh, yeah, Jay. So there's a World Superbike Test that's coming up at Mizano on Wednesday and Thursday of this week with a ton of teams that are going to be there. I know Gerloff's going to be in the mix and blah, 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 blah. There's going to be uh, a whole host of people. I don't know if you've seen the list or not. Have you seen it yet? I haven't. So you're going to see, like, Batista who's back on the Ducati. You're going to see Petrucci, by the way. Our boy's going to be there testing Dunlops, from what I understand. Wow. Uh, Michele, Michele Piero will be there also, the test rider for Ducati. Rinaldi. Redding's going to be there on the BMW. Gerloff. There's a bunch of people that are going to all be at this test. But Jason, unfortunately, BMW's Michael Vandemark will not be there. He fell on his mountain bike and fractured his leg. It's such a bummer. So what are your thoughts on the test and poor Vandemark not being able to make the test? Well, now things are going to start to get really serious. I mean, there's going to be... Uh, I saw where Batista really came out and said that he... Championship or bus type of thing this year for him, it sounds like. Um, bump for VDM. Uh, these guys are all getting hurt again preseason, and it happens. There's, I mean, look, it just happens. We saw also where McPhee is out of Mandalika this weekend because of a accident on a super motard bike, fractured a couple vertebrae, so he's out. I mean, this stuff just happens. It shouldn't really come as a surprise. It seems like it's happening a lot lately. Everybody is pushing hard to be as good as they possibly can be prior to the start of the season. Keeping yourself healthy, though, is a, is a major part of it. So did um, I didn't read into it, G-Dub. Did he break tib-fib or just fibula, or what did he break? Do you know? Vanderbilt? I don't think they announced it on the press release I saw. That's that's pretty okay. much what I what I read. Yeah, that's kind of a big question, but I, it doesn't sound like it's too, too serious, actually. Okay, and their series their series starts uh, next month, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is it next month? April. Yeah, yeah, I think it's three and a half weeks away, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so we got to get our boy on here. Yeah, yeah, we get Steve English on. Yeah, we got to get him on here eventually and talking about it. But I think it's going to be an important team test for a lot, a lot of uh, an important test for a lot of these teams um, getting sorted up. I mean, even this morning I saw where Siren is riding for that MEI team as well. I didn't even know that. So he's teammates with Mercado. Actually, I think I did know it. I just I just read about it again this morning, and it kind of caught my attention. So um, it's going to be a big test. I mean, it's going to, it sounds like everybody's going to be there. And oh, by the way, if you are home, which Jason, I think you are, uh, the actual stuff is going to be on worldsbk.com. So if you have the, you know, if you pay for the thing like we do, the video pass and all that kind of stuff, there's going to be, I don't know if they're going to set up all the course cameras, but there'll be timing and scoring and there'll be some other things. So you can log in Thursday and, or whatever, sorry, Wednesday and Thursday of this week. So that's for us, it's tomorrow and and the day after. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, Yeah. So hold on, Jason. I just, uh, oh, um, I was like, I just got a text message. So also in the news is the MotoGP Unlimited docu-series is now out on Prime Video. And there were a lot of people looking forward to this series. There were quite a few people that I know, Jason, in the archery world, in the cycling world, that had found out about it. And because they'd watched the F1 documentary, they were really looking forward to it. Unfortunately... Um, Prime Video dropped the biggest egg dude ever. I mean, yeah, explain this to me, could you? I just I've read just brief a little bit about it. But can you explain sucks, it to dude. me? Yeah. Did so you, you're, so you're on top of this. You've looked it up and seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on top of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I went I went to look at it stuff. It's got one star right now. So so bottom line, what happened was is that you know when when these camera crews are behind the scenes, the riders are just speaking their native language or whatever, and so apparently Amazon did dub overs. 
So like when Fabio Quadraro is talking, they have some dude, you know, not Fabio, speaking in English. You're and kidding. No, and it's absolutely freaking sucks, dude, because you know, like you want to hear Fabio's voice. You want to hear him speaking 100%. French or speaking Spanish or whatever. And so yeah. they were supposed to release, like the, the previews were all subtitled. You know, and that's what I want. I want subtitles. I don't want to hear some dude dub. No, like so you got to hear the writers. And so it was it was pretty much the worst launch that I have seen on Amazon, period. I mean, it was it's so bad right now. It's two days out, and nobody's wow. watching it. Nobody can sit through it. You know, I, I, got a text from, uh, I got a text from our old producer, Dan Parisi, and Dan was like, look, man, I stayed clear of MotoGP social media yesterday in anticipation of the limited thing. I was excited to sit down and dive into it. I lasted maybe two minutes. Total garbage. Completely unwatchable. English VO was terrible. I'm super disappointed and turned it off. And I think that he really, you know, that's the sentiment that that wow. just seems to be going around social media. Hopefully, you know, I've read some things where uh, one of the Euro journalists had reached out to Amazon in, in, I think, the UK or in Europe. And they had said it was an oversight. They're going to fix the problem and it's fixed. I haven't logged on this morning to, to see if it's fixed in the US yet. So I'm definitely going to watch it. But it's like, dude. When you watch it how, with a thing being that, dubbed, it's like... How can they make that big of a, a screw-up? Like, knows, the F1 one, one wasn't like that, right? F1, obviously, did it have subtitles? It was subtitled. It was subtitled, yeah. It was. Okay. I mean, that's insane. Like, I, I now I understand what now I understand what people are complaining about. Because my Twitter feed kind of blew up about it. Like, And it's too bad, because this is, like, really what would be putting... I mean, imagine any F1 people that... that didn't have a really big interest in bikes or motorsports enthusiasts, and they thought, well, let's go look at this thing and see what it's like. <laughs> That's your time to capture everybody. Exactly. Like, it's hard to re-release. I would think, GW, you know more about this than I do, but it's hard no, to it, re-release it, something and say, well, we promise this one's better. The whole campaign was about whatever, March 11th or whatever you know, it was supposed to launch. So I, I think the thing is, too, is that the rating is really important to get it into the algorithm. So like, even, even if like I go to Amazon video and I, I search for MotoGP and like five or six other things come up before this series does already because it's rated as a one star. So what's wow. going to have to happen is all these, these GP fans, once the subtitle comes out and if they like it, they're just going to have to flood five star reviews just to get the thing to a three or get the thing to a four. And so the other problem too, is it's going to rotate itself right out of an algorithm. And you know, it's not going to be one of those things. Like the good thing about the Netflix deal with formula one is if you ever watched anything with an engine or a wheel, because it was so highly rated and all that stuff, it came up right away. And so then it yeah. was like in your face. Every time I, I opened up Netflix, I was like, all right, we're going to watch this thing. So which, which by the way, I, ne I never ended up watching it, but I've talked to dozens of people that have and absolutely love the thing, you know? But, I've heard the same. I've heard nothing but great things about it. So it's, um, yeah. And I think anyways. there in Netflix, Jay, that 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 doc for F1 and, and a, anybody out there can correct me. But yeah, I know I'm getting the same thing. Um, is uh, like they didn't have access to the two top teams. So they did like all the other teams and it's still a huge success. So, yep. you know what I mean? Like the two top teams wouldn't let them in. And, I, and obviously, Pretty like wild. this one yeah. started out yeah, this one started out with like two or hours or something like that after the last round of the series, and you saw Quadraro getting dressed for the banquet, and you saw Pecco getting dressed for the banquet, stuff like that. 
And so initially, like you're looking at this thing going, all right, well, what's going on here? And then Fabio starts saying something and you hear some guy saying, oh, my shoes are untied. You're like, what the? F-? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Wow. All right. Uh, well, anyway, well, let's hope that that problem that. gets, let's hope that that gets sorted, you know, like, because that's, so that's uh, yeah, that's your that's news presented by really, Rye, by the way. That's it. Yeah. Hey, I was, I was standing in line at, at um, our mornings were both kind of interesting Sunday morning because I had to get up early and drive to Orlando Airport and it was a zoo. But on the trays that you put your stuff on the um, uh, the belt at TSA, mm-hmm. it had something about antimicrobials, and I meant to take a photo of it. And send no it to way. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, I got to send that, but I just was, I was so over it. There was so many people, and I was lucky. And the United side of things, it wasn't too bad, but. Let's get into these Daytona results, G-Dub, and talk about them. And, you know, in fairness, I have to agree with something that I was told. You know, Saturday night, you know, Greg and I, we went back down to the trucks uh, after after the race. It was dark, and uh, we left the track, and we went over to the ale house. It couldn't have worked out any better because G-Dub and I wanted to just chill, watch a little Supercross, and we had, like, we had perfect seat, didn't we? And we... uh, yeah. We did. We, we, we fell had, off we the, kind of we tucked away in a diet. corner. We fell, off the, we fell off the diet wagon <laughs> yeah, we a little both, bit. We, we we got burgers, which both of us have been trying pretty hard. We've been we've been working on things. So anyhow, as it goes, I was joined. We were joined by Brandon Posh uh, briefly because Greg, I think I think you had gotten up when you came over to the table, hadn't you? Or were you yeah, there I, yeah, I, I had left for a minute. Yep. And so I, uh, Rispoli came and found us, and and. Yeah, I left, and the next thing you know, I come back, and Rispoli's there, Posh is there. What does that uh, tell you? A couple other people. What what does that tell you, G-Dub? That everybody saw Jason Pridmore all alone, and they felt bad for him. No, everybody saw you leave and went like, let's get over there. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, but Brandon Posh wins the 80th running of the Daytona 200. (laughs) The 80th running of the Daytona 200 was, was won by Brandon Posh, and I mean... Greg, was he on anybody's? I mean, I know he was on the radar, but it'd be interesting to see how many people, other than people within his team, had him to win. And, um, you know, he even said that. He sat there and he goes, you know, I know nobody really considered me winning this race, but you got to say that this is the biggest, obviously, without question, the the bigger win of the two that he's had over the last two years at Daytona. First back-to-back champion, I think, since Danny Eslick. Um, The field this year was so much deeper. Uh, and I think that's what's going to make this even better for Brandon going into this next season. He beats Cameron Peterson and Sheridan Marias to the line, and poor Josh Hayes. Just, just, I mean, look, Josh was my pick to win. I thought, you know, he did a nice job getting himself where he got to in that first half of the or first third of the race. He ends up fourth. Escalante fifth. Danny Estick, Harry Truelove, amazing ride by him. Jeff May, Hayden Gillum, Josh Heron, top ten. Now. Really, Greg, when you look at it, you and I kind of called it um, the things that make or break you in this race are the in-laps, out-laps, and of course, those dreaded pit stops. And when you look at the top four, we had, what do we have in the lead draft the first go of it, Greg? Probably 12 bikes? Yeah, I think after like Close maybe to 12 two bikes. laps. It, yeah, it was eight, eight like to 12 eight, by, the red, to by 12, the red flag. It was, it was eight by the red flag after seven laps gnarly and i think that when you look at the pit stops that's what i mean ultimately split the field isn't it i mean you look at escalante he had issues danny essek runs out of gas issues i didn't get to see the tse pit stops uh that well it looked like may i didn't get to really see may's pit stops 
I think um, Hayden Gillum had some issues in the pits. I talked to some of his crew. Um, obviously, we know Josh Heron had some troubles running out of fuel, um, just stretching it a little bit too long there. Um, but when you look at it, those four runners at the front, um, Posh, Peterson, Marias, and Hayes, they all had great pit stops. And Attack's second pit stop was a little bit overlooked by us, uh, that second one, uh, at least it was by me, because they did a great job of getting Cam out there and getting him some four seconds out in front of the, the next trio. And, um, I mean, pit stops where it's at. That's the key to Brandon Posh's situation was he pulled in. I mean, we're going to talk about that. I, I have an interview with him talking about his whole race, so I'm just going to skip yeah. that and let him talk about it. But the pit stops made the difference. There's no doubt about it. You know, when it comes to that, that vision wheel M4 XR Suzuki team, as we saw, um, you know, you, you saw Sam Lockoff come in and have a problem you know, and talking to John Ulrich, who's obviously team owner, the situation was really unique in that team, Jason, from the perspective of they had one rider of their three. They have three riders in that field, right? Um, yeah, three. That was on three. Yeah, they were on Pirelli's, and the other two were on Dunlops. What I didn't yep. know was that what you're trying to do with the stands is you're trying to set your stands up to the to a position where the wheel is just off the ground. I mean, as, as low as you can, because that makes the stand easier to pop into place and get up and all that stuff. And there's a difference between the Dunlop stand and the Pirelli stand. The Pirelli stand is actually a little bit lower. And so when Lockoff came in, there was some confusion and uh, going on right before he got in. And he gets in and whoever grabbed the wrong stand, which was it was the Pirelli stand. So they get the the bike on the stand. What they don't realize is that the Dunlop is still contacting the ground just a little bit. Sam goes to get off the bike, and he kind of tweaked the handlebar so that leaned the bike one way. They pulled the axle out. They couldn't get the axle back in because it was too low to the oh, ground, you know? Yeah. And so then there was all that confusion of them trying to figure it out. Then Escalante came in, and no one was really there to, to, to Nobody service was his looking. bike. So. What's crazy is yeah, I, know that really... the, the, I know that their strategies have to be probably one lap apart. And if you watch that race for Lockoff, he was kind of doing what I kind of thought he would do. He was he was almost running the same kind of race that Brandon Posh was running in the sense that he wasn't he wasn't right with that lead draft, but he was only a couple seconds behind him. He was kind of almost pacing pacing that a little bit. And he was just trying to keep his nose clean. And I think that I really do believe that um had he been able to you know get good pit stops and get in and out, I expect that team. I mean, if there's a team in the paddock that you would expect History wise, to know exactly how so to do that. So do they, by the pits. way. They, they, and they, they do to, too. 100%. To I'm not better. definitely not slamming. I'm saying that, that they would definitely expect it themselves. They got to think when they pull in, like, we're ready to go. It's hard to believe that that team has never won the Daytona 200. And they've just been snake bit, it seems like. I mean, with SDK last year, and DeBees was, remember DeBees' big crash in the kink when he was obviously the fastest guy that year too. Um, but that's what happens in this 200. But what was bizarre to me was that when Lockoff had his issue, I was lo I was watching it, and the team jumped over back over the wall. Lockoff was just standing there in the pit lane, like looking at his bike. Escalante comes in, and there wasn't a single person even thinking about Escalante, and it really cost him because both him and Max Angles, another guy that led the Daytona 200, very surprising to me. I did not expect. Did you expect to see Max Angles leading this race? I did not. Nope. Yeah. I thought that he'd was... be in that lead draft based off of his practices and thought things, but I thought he'd be the guy that would be there, be there, be there, and then kind of fall off. That guy was up in the front, and he was happy to be at the front, led laps. Um, but again, pit stops, 
cost him. And that puts you under an incredible amount of pressure as a writer because you want to keep trying to make things up. We later saw it looked like he made a mistake possibly in the chicane, got back up. I think he ended up 16th or something, G-Dub. Um, but the thing the thing is is that that race just brings so much into play. And the fact that the TOBC crew came in, looked at that tire at the end, thought to themselves, hey, we're sending him right back out. And you've got to rely on your crew. you got to rely on your people. But that team's won the Daytona 200. How many times have they won it now? Three or four? TOBC? Right. I know you're looking it up. I put you on the spot. But Danny Eslick won it twice. TOBC, yeah. So Eslick won it for him on a Suzuki in 15. And then Michael Barnes won it in 16. He was on a Yamaha, but I don't know which team. It doesn't have it listed. But then Eslick won it in 17 TOBC Yamaha, 18 TOBC Yamaha. So their fourth time. Fourth time winning the 200. Fourth time. I mean, are you kidding? This is a team that comes in once a year, rocks into the Daytona, and they've just got it sorted out. And uh, Michelle, the team owner of the team, I think uh, has done a great job of, uh, you know, getting the people around her that she has to have. And and But wouldn't it be great if we could see this team in our series more often? It would be absolutely tremendous if we could get that team on those triumphs not happening. Man, into our paddock. No, I know it's, it's not, not happening, ha- it's, but I'm saying it, it yeah. would be nice. No, it would, it would be awesome unfortunately michelle has a job and the first couple of years that they were doing stuff the people you know at her work were were kind of you know cool with it and stuff like that um but then eventually they were just like look you know and she, and she is in real estate so she's got to work weekends and so it's I, I had a long talk with her about it and i said all right well can i say like these bikes are up for sale maybe like you know because yeah this is the first time these bikes have been in the country these 765 uh triumph street triples and you know, again, with the posh, I don't want to get too much into it because I got an interview with him, but um, it's, it, you know, there aren't a lot of parts available in the U.S. They obviously, the bikes are good and they're going to make good race yeah. bikes as well. And so hopefully there's some other teams out there that may be looking in that direction towards Triumph saying, hey, what posh just did, obviously it can run because Daytona is that is that deal, right? Like it, there's so much riding on the line in terms of balancing for the world super sport and you know moto america super sport how is this whole algorithmic balancing done with torque curves and all this kind of stuff that scott uh, smart was telling us telling me about a couple times over the weekend and so you know i think uh by the way the brandon posh stuff is like three minutes 40 seconds but i, uh, I think i spoke with him for like 16 minutes we're going to make that available yeah. on the patreon page uh for those of people that are subscribed to patreon um but in that conversation, I asked him about the balancing and what he thought about the balancing of the bikes. And he thought, obviously, he won. So, you know, but he thought it was it was good. I mean, riding around Josh Heron when he was up front as well on the Ducati that no one yep. was really able to get away. And Posh, as you ta- brought up Max Angles, he also said that, you know, he couldn't he couldn't draft Max Angles' bike. So it's not like the Triumph was like head and shoulders above everybody else. He just knew that if he got into a draft, he had enough motor to swing by people. You know, but he didn't blow but he never, people and he never, the triumph. And the greatest part about that is he never showed that. Oh, dude, like you saw, mean, you saw him on the first lap leading, led across the line. Um, but then legitimately, after I the I think red he led flag, the first two laps, I think. The first two he? laps. Yep. And he never and led he a lap again. There. And he never showed those guys that he could pass them at the line. Never one time. And it was kind of weird because you kind of knew that those guys had to know whoever was running third in the infield and saw plus zero on their board, which I believe Hayes, Marias, um, they, they both they, they both probably saw that at some point in Camp Peterson. 
they were going through the infield at some point third and saw plus zero on their board. So they knew somebody was back there. But I don't recall a time in that race where I saw any of those three look back to see that Brandon Posh was just sitting there on him and watching everything going on. And the other thing that was really key is I said in the telecast that it looked like his gearing was kind of hosed for the infield. And I asked him Sunday night, and he goes, Jay, my, infield, my, my gearing was so screwed for the infield. But the bike chugged along on the bankings. And you know the, the, the gearing being too tall in the infield. He told me, Greg, that there were some laps where he had to go to first gear for the horseshoes because he had zero... Second gear was just too tall, so you know. But the, it was, but the thing it was that's even more impressive that than that, that, Jason, after talking with him, is after that pit stop, the last pit stop, and Cam Peterson had like a four second lead. He was content. Posh didn't panic. He was content to see if the two guys in front of him, Sheridan and Cam, could drag him up. You know, he said, "Look, we have it." I thought to myself, "We have enough laps left." And I wanted to see if they could do it. So he didn't come up with the urgency like, oh, I've got to go to the front real quick and drag everybody up because they're not doing a good enough job. He let the race come to him. And that's... And what's really... Yeah, you're so right. You're so right on that. And it's... One of the things that's really great about Daytona too, Greg, is that you... It can, we say this at any racetrack, okay? But it could be so detrimental catching traffic in the wrong spots at Daytona, which Cam did, like in the chicane and places like that. You catch a guy in the middle of the chicane, it ruins your drive, and it ruins you till you get to the exit of turn one, legitimately. And those guys, when they were running him down, talking about Marias and Hayes and Brandon, when they're running those guys down, or when they're running Cam down, they can see really clearly if they're catching up or not, because there's so many great visual as a rider at Daytona where you can see, yep, yeah, I'm clawing into this now, and that guy's a sitting duck up there. You know that pushing your own wind around that place is difficult. Um, and so, you know, I, it's just a tremendous job. Now, I want to ask your opinion on a couple other things. Um, Camp Peterson, Marias, Josh Hayes battle. Um, when you start to look at that, what, I, you know, when I, when I watched it, when we were calling it, I felt like when those three guys were out in front, I didn't notice, what's the word I'm looking for? The franticness that maybe... You said Marias was riding in, and even Josh talked a little bit about that. Um, I think some of that's going to be really the first time running up front at Daytona. That, like, in other words, I think next year Marias comes back after a year of reflection on this race and realizes, hey, uh, I don't need to be that frantic at the front because look what Brandon did. What an example of. And Josh was the same. Hayes to me was the same. Peterson, Marias, and Cam when they were running the front of that race. I didn't see them messing with each other in the infield too much, did you? No, not not too much. And and I'm not saying that what Sheridan did was a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing. No, it's no, just no, a no. different thing than what we've seen with people that have had two or three or four Daytona 200s. And you know what? It also Correct. might be a function of, I mean, because I'm dipping myself back to the Superbike days as well, when there was no trash control and all those kinds of things. And, and making a tire last till the stint would be a big deal. Obviously, Pirelli had something good underneath them because it didn't affect Sheridan at all and like I had said on the broadcast I had spoken with him the day before and he said no tires on pit stops and obviously that changed and I'm glad that that we got in the report that the information I gave was incorrect because it was that would have been critical there's no chance that he could have gone for just a, a front tire 
You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. I think what it was, was that he said that for sure they're going to probably, they might change a rear, but they were going to stick with the same front. But if they change front and rear tires, you have to, because your competition's doing the same thing. So in that particular case, you know, obviously we know that Posh got how many laps, Jay? I mean, 19 plus the, the finish. I mean, he got two st- full stints out of that rear tire and you could tell from the way Cameron Peterson was turning onto the banking, coming out of the infield, he could just hold a tight line and drive. You saw Heron, and and thinking about it now, I don't think it was just a function of the Ducati. I think it's a function of the Ducati and the Dunlop tire that, you know, you got to take a wider line to drive out than you th- did that tighter line. And I thought, oh man, Peterson's going to roach his tire. Didn't happen. You know, it, well, it didn't happen. So yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of things that were involved <clears throat> in that. But I think for Marias, he kind of knew what he had underneath him, and then he just used it to the best of his ability. And if he wanted to go up front and continue to push the pace and continue to click off those 150s, very low 151s, then it's totally his prerogative, you know. But it didn't well, look yeah. it didn't yeah. look like there was anything any banging or anything in the infield to me. No, no, I thought I thought it was all good. Now let's talk about Hayes for a second. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and I haven't got a chance to text him uh, since. Obviously, since this, I text him. I talked to him a little bit on uh, the night of the race. Um, went back and forth with him a little bit, and I, you know, Josh ran the race. I thought he would race a uh, run. I thought he would get up there in that first half. I thought he would be there till the end. If you look at how he rode, he rode with controlled aggression. I think he knew that nobody was getting away. Josh did his normal try to get to the front and lead. It's pretty impossible to do there if you can't get away in the infield. But I thought he rode very typical Josh. It's it's almost like one of those things where I'm kind of glad he finished fourth <laughs> instead of, it's, you know what I mean? Like, Because if he won, everybody be coming out of retirement? I mean, you look at McWilliams no, and no, Hayes, no, no, no. if they I mean, won like, those races. I think, I think Jason if he Pridmore, second. Just tell I, everybody the truth. You want to come out of retirement and race the Daytona 200 no, now, no. don't you? I, yeah, no, that is absolutely beyond <laughs> false. The thing is, is um, on Kolb's I feel Kawasaki. Like if, <laughs> I, I feel like if he finished second, it would have been way more gut, gut-wrenching than finishing fourth. I know everybody wants to be on the podium. Don't get me wrong. But I think if Josh ends up leading that race to the line and gets pipped at the line uh, by seven thousandths or whatever it was, I think that it's just so much more soul crushing than the fact he finished where he is. Any one of those four riders could have won that race. Anyone. You know what I mean? Like it didn't it's just a matter of what kind of run you get from the chicane to the checkered flag on that that lap. And you know, it's like we we were Camp Peterson could have won that race just as easy as, as Sheridan or Josh or Brandon. Um and you know, Brandon said to me at the dinner table, he's like, I know I look like super smart because I'm not that smart. Like I, and like I said, don't worry, Brandon, we all know that you're not. Um, but that's, that said, um, you know, he put himself in the, just the right place at the right time. But do you think Josh comes back and has another go at this thing? How, how can you not? Can he I don't see pace? how he can't either. And I'm sure right now he's probably, I don't know where he's at, but he's probably driving somewhere across America and his, in his motorhome with his kids and Melly. And he's probably going like, it's probably killing him. I you know, you reflect, it. I, I would think that you reflect back on a race like that over and over and you think to yourself, oh, like what could I have, you know, what could I have done different? I don't know what he could have done different. What could he have done different, G-Dub? I mean, nothing because you can't control oh. the other three riders around him. That's that's the thing. I mean, what could you have done different other than shut the throttle off and, you know what I mean, try to get fourth? I don't, I don't know. I mean, nothing. It's just it. 
this is the Daytona 200. You know, we we praise the winner, but the reality is any one of those four could have won it. They all had the same exact pace, but we have, that's the greatest thing about racing, man. Not everybody gets a trophy. Not everybody gets a trophy. There were some other great storylines I think that we should talk about really quickly, and that is um, when you look at two riders that definitely would have been there to the end, um, Danny Eslick and Josh Heron. Yes. Um, both guys proved to be up front all week long. Um, Essex just has a knack for understanding that race, obviously being a four-time winner. Heron's won the race before as well. Um, it is hard to believe, it is hard to believe that running out of gas can even be an option at this stage. Um, because, and it was really interesting, I had a discussion with, gosh, who did I talk to? Anyways, we were talking about how World Endurance teams do their fuel, Greg. And I don't know if I've ever discussed this with you before. I don't think so. But they weigh their fuel. All right. So basically, you'll you'll go out for practice session and with a certain amount of fuel in your tank, okay? And then when you come in, before I go back out in my session, they're going to take the tank off. They're going to drain all the fuel and find out how much fuel you used. Then they're going to do the same thing with me. They're going to use it as a way of... So all of the fuel, and I learned this. I was I was with a team called Phase One Endurance. That's who I started riding with, and they were really the first ones I ever heard talk about weighing fuel. And when I went to some of the other teams I went to, I used to say to them, "This is how you have to do it." Now, Greg, if I sent you out in an endurance race and you've done endurance before, what are you normally waiting to come on so that you can tell your team that hey, we're getting low? Fuel light. Yeah. So. One of the things is the fuel light to me, and I'm sure these teams were not necessarily using that, but the fuel light, if it fails, you're host because if the fuel light never comes on and your team starts going, well, we're in our window now, but the fuel light's not come on. And this has happened as well, where we ran out of gas in the first hour of the Le Mans 24 hour, which all of a sudden now you're down six laps because you ran out of fuel and that makes for a hell of a long 24 hour endurance race. Um, the fact that there was some miscalculation, I think that on the first pit stop at Daytona, the thing that you have to do is almost bring your rider in a lap or two earlier than you think so that you can see how much fuel goes into the tank on that first fuel stop to really get an idea of what you're doing. Now, when these guys go out for their short 20-minute sessions, 10-minute sessions during practice, you've got to remember, Greg, they're not usually running around in an eight and nine rider drafting group. It just isn't like that. So that first hour or that first 20 laps of the 200, there's a lot of fuel being used by some, and there's not going to be as much fuel used by others depending on where they're putting themselves in this draft. So to me, I was so bummed to see, and I genuinely mean it, I was bummed to see Heron and Eslick both run dry because both those guys would have been at the front of this race at the end, and we would have had six guys that we know of. Um, I know getting away from just the pit stop thing, I'm just saying the running out of gas thing is a hard one for me to swallow. But the thing is, too, it, it does have a lot to do with communication with the team. Um, in the 200, there are quite a few riders that are going to, they have pre-calculated uh, windows and they have, like you said, Jay, they try to calculate the fuel mileage and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there's pit board signals. So the question really is, is did Josh miss the pit board signals because he was too busy racing the infield and didn't see it? 
or did the team not put the correct information on the board and, and get him in? It's it's something that we're going to have to talk to Josh about. I sent him a text about it like right now to kind of find out. But obviously, we're in the middle of the podcast. And it's it's either way, it kind of doesn't make a difference. All we know is that Josh Aaron had the pace. He had the pace to run it. Their pit stops were good. Yeah. Really, really and good. Danny, and, and Danny. And Danny, too. Danny and did, so, too. And we know with his team in pit, he, he would have been there as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. I saw him Sunday night, too. Did you see him? Or Who, Danny? Night. No, I didn't Danny. see him. But you know what Josh said? Josh said that yeah. the team said that the fuel consumption went way up in the race compared to practice. So that's exactly exactly what you and I are talking about. And who knows with that bike? They probably don't have a fuel light necessarily on the bike. Maybe they do. But Josh may have been told to ignore it. Um, so, you know, that's the whole thing. that It went way up in the race compared to practice. Well, yeah, probably because you're you're having to you know what i mean rip it so josh said he did not miss his pit Wait, board josh hayes said no, this. Or i'm talking this? i'm texting with heron right now and so and so ah, heron yes, said the, okay. team, the team yeah. said that the fuel consumption went way up in the race to practice and josh is like i don't miss my pit board you know what i mean like uh no yeah. no no he that he's gonna he's done that a million times the thing is right is that his consumption went way up in the race was that the thing you know what you got to look at though greg is that after the first pit stop he was pushing his own win the yeah. whole time. Yep. Like he didn't have anybody to go with. I watched him and he was literally just carving up, just trying to go through the field the whole time. He never really got hooked up with anybody for the fuel consumption. The fuel consumption, there's no way the fuel consumption could have been as bad before the first pit stop as it had been through the second and third stints of that race for yep. him because the guy was out there pushing his own win the whole time. Yeah. Um, not only are you pushing and, your own win, Jason, that, not only that, but also when you're in that draft, you're getting sucked. Like, you know, you you can feel that person in the draft and it's kind of a double effect. Correct. You kind of get pulled backwards so the motor's doing more work, you know, to, to try. You heard Cameron Peterson say that. He could feel whoever was in his draft come into the line and you kind of get yourself, you you're, you start feeling yourself. Like you say, Greg, you get that drag. You're up at the front, but you get that drag. You know, for me, when I listen to the fact that, I, you know, Heron's gone by pit boards a million times in his life. No, and it doesn't matter how big of a race you're in. And especially your awareness level of knowing that, all right, I know it's got to be getting close to time to get in. So, you know, I'd heard some stuff about the possibilities of him missing it. And it's a hard one for me to believe. Um, I just think that they miscalculated by a lap. That's, I mean, look, Heron ran out of gas going down the back straight away on the lap yes. he was coming in. Going into the chicane. Because if you remember, I had made the comment, he was already letting those guys know, Posh and Danny, he was letting those guys know that he was coming into the pits, going into turn six on the lap that he ran out of gas. I thought that was great of him. Like, hey, I'm coming in. Just so you guys know, if you're drafting me, whatever. Um, or, or, that bike started to sputter in the infield and he didn't want to be drafted on the banking. Um, and so he was letting those guys know, like, hey, I've, I may have a problem here or whatever. But if him or Estic run out of gas, literally run out of gas before the chicane, their race is over. True. They ran out of gas. They, I, I mean, tip of the cap I to Josh. Josh got the bike back. Exactly. I was getting ready to say the same thing. How he got that How bike get- back, still finished his top 10. But also what he told me, Jay, is he started the race on a medium front, and he said that that was a bad choice. Yeah. And we could see it, him trying to get that Ducati mm. turn and get up onto the banking, and he was kind of suffering a little bit on Definitely. the drive. And so, hey, look. Boy, you could see yeah, that. Yeah, you too. really could. Like he was really, really struggling, struggling with but that. I, he still did a, you know, he and after, by the way, everything <laughs> got taken care of. And the last thing he was doing like identical lap times to what the leaders were doing. He's just doing low fifties, low fifties. Posh ended up being the only rider in the race to do what a forty nine nine, and he did it. Was it the forty nine nine? Was it the last yeah. lap he did it on too? 
He did it with like three, three to go, go okay. or something like which, that. Which, which says a lot, by the way, of the fact that he didn't flat. get a rear tire as well. So it's, it's, it look, it was a, a good tire war. I think Dunlop really showed up. You know, the Pirelli, from what I was told by people that were racing, it was, was pretty much the same as it was last year. Dunlop showed up with a new tire. They proved themselves competitive this year. Josh Hayes could yeah. have won that race for the, can you imagine if Hayes would have won that race for Dunlop? I mean, Hayes would have been the superhero of the, of the century for them. Uh, but either way, I thought that the Daytona 200 was good. Jay, why don't we hear from Brandon Posh? I know it's a little long of an interview, and the audio is not great, but let's hear in his own words. You ready for it, for, for Posh? Yes, All right, let's it. hear from Brandon and, and how, uh, I, you know, I basically just said, so tell me, about the, tell me about the race from beginning to end. Yeah, so like off the start, we had a really good start for the, for the first start and uh, went from row two, almost whole shot of the thing right behind Josh and... Uh, I don't know. My game plan has always been just kind of hang in that, hang in that group and see where I'm at at the end, like make it through the pit stops and then see where we're at. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of sat there in that group and unfortunately there was a red flag at, at around like lap seven or something, which actually turned out to be pretty beneficial for us because, uh, of fuel and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, after the red flag, we got another good start off the restart and just kind of sat in that group. I think I was sitting maybe sixth or seventh most of the race, to be honest. And then as people would pull in for pit stops or run out of fuel or whatever, I would just keep keep jumping one spot up. And before the second pit stop, I was like, I think I was leading with like maybe nine, nine or ten seconds up and just circulating by myself. It was kind of strange coming from sixth or seventh to being at the lead without uh, without doing anything different, you know, just people pulling off and stuff. And I was like, oh. Okay, I guess it's time to get a tire. Pull in. Uh, I was I was actually like I got to the point where I was like, okay, this, the thing's spinning a lot. I, I'm about to have a pit stop. It's okay. I'm gonna get a fresh tire and go back, and it'll be okay. Come in. They refuel, and they're like, yeah, no tire. I, I was like, what? Excuse me. Like, there's no way we're not putting a tire right now. There's 12 laps left, and I'm gonna go back out on the same tire. And it actually seemed to still work i think it honestly after the pit stop it worked better like the tire maybe cooled down a little bit and and came back to life a little bit because i said the fastest lap of the race a couple laps after that pit stop so um yeah that was that was pretty crazy not putting a tire was a big gamble and it actually turned out okay for us in the end but i was definitely a little nervous heading back down pit lane with with the same set of tires on um but yeah i rejoined the track and like third or somewhere around there with, with that uh that group of Hayes and Marias and I knew there was a gap to Peterson I wasn't sure we had enough time to close it but I just kind of figured uh, I'm out here on another used tire I'm just going to sit behind Hayes and, and Marias let them pull me towards Peterson because I saw we were catching him so I just sat there didn't do any work <laughs> I, I felt like I was in a bicycle race this is usually what I do on all of our local group rides I sit there oh, in a bunch the, and, are you serious yeah. that guy you don't ever yeah. take a pull at the front yeah, I don't ever want to pull at the front. I was sitting in that group all damn rod and then out sprint everybody at the end. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I just sat there because I saw we were closing the gap and I knew my tire situation. So kind of just sat there in that group of, of them two guys and waited it out. And once we caught them, I was like, okay, I, we're here now. Nobody's going to pull away. There's a couple laps left. Just be smart. Try and position yourself right coming out of the chicane and, and – uh, yeah, it kind of worked out. There was definitely a little bit of uh, strategy, but also probably a little bit of luck. And I mean, you kind of make your own luck, right? Like you got to put yourself in the 
position to get lucky. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time, cut down low under Hayes, and I knew them two guys were going to cut down on the banking. So I was expecting to to kind of get, like, uh, put into the draft, you know. Like, I, I was kind of just hanging out by myself at the bottom there, and then them two guys cut down, which obviously gave me a really good slingshot and just sucked me along, and the rest is history. So, I mean... That last little bit right there tells you that he's got experience. That That is the most experienced move. Like, okay, I'm down here. These guys are going to come down, and they're going to bring that big pocket of air behind him. I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to shoot by. So what would you think? I mean, obviously, Jace, that was a bit of a long one, but a um, lot of information there. But, I, but thanks, Brandon, for doing that. No, it's – like, let me ask you a question. When you listen to that, <clears throat> when you listen to what he just said, I think that when we go back to Daytona next year – I think that you're going to see a. Yeah, but I think that you're going to see a lot of people going. using the yeah, same strategy. I know strategy. where you're going, but the problem is, is what you and Spees did in in you know 2003 or whatever. The pace can't be that slow. There's always going to be somebody like the Sheridan Marias or no. like Cam Peterson that are no, going to want to push the pace. Somebody's got to lead, right? I, like that's the whole problem. Well, no, no, no. I'm saying that I think that it, what you're going to start to see though is a lot more strategy at the starts of these these run like the race itself like you're gonna they're gonna be able to use this as an example this year look <clears throat> back when and, and i can't remember who i was texting this to i think it was uh maybe uncle skip <laughs> and we were texting about the disparity in speeds okay over the years over the years now um our bikes the way the rules are written everything's so much closer okay everything is so much closer now you, you're going to be able to see guys like Max Angles, a privateer, that's going to be able to run with teams that have bigger budgets and things because the way the rules are written, correct? So so now I think that what you have to do is what is going to make you different as a rider? Well, we just heard Brandon. Brandon's like, I knew I had 57 laps. I knew that I'm going to sit on the back just like a bicycle race. I'm going to out sprint everybody at the end, which, you know, he's half wheeling people, right? <laughs> so the thing is, though, is that strategy that was used was successful. And to that point, even Josh Hayes was, you know, he was very, very patient in this race. If it's a sprint race, Josh wants to lead, he wants to lead, he wants to lead, he wants to lead. I never saw Josh Hayes put a wheel wrong the whole time. Like, literally the whole time. I, I never saw him make well, any we, mistakes. Well, we did. We saw one. And remember, first lap, if you think back to first lap when we saw him rip through, he made a mistake. International, but I'm just saying, who cares? I know what you're saying. I don't even remember. I mean, he's coming from from back, back of the, the grid. grid. I mean, he was wide in one, being wide able to move one. around. Remember, like he was well, he he was trying to go around the yeah, outside yeah, yeah, of people, yeah. you know. And, but for the most part, but it the was thing unreal. is, right? Is it is it's is it's like there's a strategy that was used here that was very 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 successful. Um, and and I feel that uh, now people are going to relook at this race and see what's going on. Back in the days when Kenny Roberts was winning and all these other things, there was such a huge disparity in speeds between the top bikes and the and the, the privateer bikes. And now we're not at that stage. Now we've got a lot more guys. I think what do we have? We had 10 finish on the we had 10 people finish on the lead lap. Uh Heron was a minute and 29 seconds behind at the end. And you think about how much time he lost from the chicane to coming down. I mean, a minute 29 he lost a shit ton of he time. Probably, I, I would venture that. to say that he lost a minute and 29 like because that's how fast he was going. I would right? agree. Like, he probably spent that much time Correct. in the pits because if he didn't see it, by the way, Josh comes in, he barely makes it into the pit uh, because he was running out of gas. Yep. They refuel it. They, they try to get him going, 
But the thought was because the it was so out of gas that the fuel pump didn't have any fuel in it, so it needed to cycle a couple of times to prime itself. Keep and turning so, it on yeah, and off, on and off. It wasn't on like an instant deal. Go, and yeah. so then Josh was on it. I mean, he was boop, 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 hitting the buttons and doing everything he needed to do. Then finally it fired up and went, and then it was off to the races. Amazing. I mean, if for me it was just uh, – it was a crazy race, um, you know, Craig. You know, we got to say this. There was four non-finishers of the that Daytona 200. That's it. Um, I didn't even look at that. Four, four non-finishers. Um, I will say this, and I mentioned it in the broadcast, and I can't say this enough. You know, the best part about calling this race for me is there wasn't those packs of guys twelve seconds off the pace running around the Daytona 200 because they wanted to see if they could qualify. Yeah, you know what I mean, like. Watching this race the last few four or five years for me has been zero fun. Like, I don't even put it on my calendar or even really care about it because I did get to watch the last sort of seven laps of last year's 200 with SDK and Brandon, and I hated it. It was awful. And I'll tell you why because they were going by guys that were absolutely gassed out, that couldn't even barely hold on to their bikes anymore that were going 10 to 12 seconds a lap slower a lap. And I know everybody's going to be like, yeah, but they have the right. Yeah, they do have a right to be there, but they need to be able to go the speed it, it, that, that warrants them to be there. And I thought this year's cutoff and the fact that we didn't need to see 60 or 80 riders on the grid, uh, the fact that Motor America did that and made it you know, harder to qualify, um, I believe. And it just made the race so much better. Greg, we were like, 12 laps into that race before we even saw a back marker. Now, we saw Scott Briotti, I think, getting lapped very early, problem. but he had a problem right. to start. And so that wasn't like he was going too slow to catch people or to, to not, you know, obviously he wasn't going that slow to be lapped on the third lap. He had a problem. Um, but we didn't see those big packs, and it made the racing so much better for us as commentators to call because there wasn't packs of six, seven guys that these guys had to go through. I thought... That the rule change I thought was really really good um, for all the things that were said during the off season about this bike's going to have a big advantage here and this bike's going to have a big advantage there and well you know everybody's got to cross the ball they the know exactly gets, what's going to happen blah 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 people bitching and moaning before the race even started it's like we didn't have to I I I just thought it was a great race I'm looking forward to going back thanks for Brandon for coming on and and talking to you as well. Um, I know he can't stand you, so it was good of him to do that. Yeah, I don't blame know? him. But we did have other races. <laughs> Jackass. We did have we did have other races. Yeah, you want? I have results up. You want me to rip through them, or do you want to rip through them? Yeah, yeah, go through. Yeah, do All right, it. Do so it, do anyway, it. congratulations to Brandon Posh. Hey, King of the Baggers had two races. In the first race, Tyler O'Hara won it by two ten two tenths of a second over Travis Wyman and Kyle Wyman. And in that race, he came out of nowhere. Jeremy McWilliams. Ended up fourth in the second race. Forget about it. It was an all-Indian affair. Jeremy McWilliams uses his experience at Daytona to draft by Tyler O'Hara by 25 thousandths of a second. Bobby Fong was in the mix, one-tenth of a second back. And then Raspoli was fourth at 1.1 seconds. But, dude, that dude rode his nutsack off through the infield to stay with it. So, Jay, what we have right now is Tyler O'Hara is leading this championship by seven points over Travis Wyman, Bobby Fong's in fifth, and Taylor Knapp after two rounds because it was an actual Moto America race. It was like their first two races of the season. So that was some good stuff. Do you want to touch on some things that you saw in baggers? Because you talked about it at the top of the show. It was impressive that we had two manufacturers in the mix. Obviously, we saw a speed disparity for, from the Indian to, to the Harley-Davidson, at least at the moment. Well... 
Um, you know, when you look at this race, it sounds like McWilliams is coming back. I mean, he's like, we need to get a couple more guys here. We get to get a couple more guys um, over. Like, let's get Rossi on a bagger and this kind of thing. I saw one of his tweets, and it's like, we got to get him on. We should get Jeremy on the podcast, and I'm bummed that I didn't get to go down and actually talk to him. Um, but, I mean, look, the versatility of this guy. Greg, and, I, and I'm embarrassed to say, I don't know how old he is. I think he's 56, 57. Maybe 58. I mean, he's been around, this guy. And I saw his Twitter post this morning, and it said, of all the things he's done on a bike, this win has had a bigger impact on most things than, than anything he's ever done, which is saying something. A lot of people around the world were watching this race. Baggers did not disappoint. I'm slowly becoming a bigger fan. Matt um, Oxley, the who, that these bikes, you see Matt Oxley, who does MotoGP, yeah. he's a, you know, does a lot. He posted something like "Let's get Petrucci on one," and people went crazy, dude. Like photoshopping like uh, right. old G, old Ducati GP bikes with bags on them and stuff. It was, it was really cool. I mean, there is something about the championship that is intriguing, and it's usually it's because of the people that are racing it, and we have rivalries. You know, we have a manufacturer rivalry. We have so there is something intriguing about it. Um, and it's look, it's also from a selfish standpoint. It, it's given some of these riders a paycheck. I mean, we know that a lot of the riders that are running in the baggers class are are making some money doing it, and fair play to them. Um, the vision of it all, to me, when it very first started, uh, didn't catch me as much. But like the e-bikes over in MotoGP, the personalities that we have, the rivalries that we have, the things that are going to make the bagger class good, and it seems like it's it's got some... It feels like it's got some uh, some momentum now. So I'd be lying if I didn't say I was looking forward to Atlanta. And and is it? Do you think? Jer- I think Jeremy McWilliams is coming back. Don't I'm you? Pretty sure that he's in it for the year because we have five. Just by the sound of, yeah, by the sound of his text message. Right, because he's he's. I think he's part of the development team to work with Tyler O'Hara for the rest of the season. We'll have to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. That's why he's on the factory team, and. Um, Amazing. Yeah, and and so baggers they have they have five more. It, it, dude, if this thing keeps going the way it's going, it's just going to be regular on the, on, you know, on the calendar. But this year we have ten Moto America race weekends remaining, and baggers will be at five of those. Oh, by the way, Jeremy McWilliams is fifty-seven years old. Let's move on to Twins Cup. Amazing. Yeah, where uh, in race number one in Twins Cup. By the way, we got a total of what do we have? We had seven races, so we had or I'm sorry, six races this weekend. We had the 200. We only had one hooligans race because of weather, but we did get two Twins Cup and two baggers races in. So on the Twins Cup, you had Blake Davis, who wins the first one by .065 of a second over Teague Hobbs and Anthony Maziato. We'll talk about that one in a second. And then Hayden Schultz uh, wins it by .241 over Jody Berry and uh, Tommaso Marcone. And the points have Teague Hobbs leading by two points over Jody Berry. All right, now, Jason, the one thing I will say is if anybody's ever concerned about how well racing went, I just I did some math, okay? If you include all six races that we had and you add up the margin of victory for all six races, any ideas, any, any guesses as to when you add them all up? So keep in mind that Daytona 200 was .007, but then the rest of the race— Did you just say 0.—what did you say that— Blake won by was it less than what the Daytona 200 was? No. By? So Blake Blake won by point zero six five. Oh, point zero six five. We were point oh oh seven. I think two hundred. Yeah. Correct. Well, it's got to be no more than. Uh, it's got to be no more than one point one seconds. 
0.605. For six, all the races. Six tenths of it. If you add up all the margins of victory. Wow. That's for incredible. all six races that we had, from twins to hooligans to baggers and the 200, six tenths of a second for the entire weekend. Yeah. Well, are you not entertained? <laughs> but that's a balance, right? That's that means that the rules are the rules are balanced. They're working. They've done a really nice job. And when you look at this Twins Cup class, if you remember me when we went to Daytona, what what class did I say was going to be the craziest race? Oh my God, Twins, Twins Cup, and. I found, you know, Greg and I, we didn't call that race, obviously, but we we had just got off the air, I think. Did we do qualifying or something for the 200? I can't remember what it was, but we were in our booth still when the first race went. And two laps into it, three laps into it, I told Greg, I don't like this. I don't like it. Because, again, we're, we've kept, got that experience level. He kept level. saying it. He kept saying it. G-Dub, oh, I don't like this. Like, I don't like this. G-Dub, I don't. Just kept saying it for two laps until. Until Maziato ran into the wall. And the thing is, is it's like people can go, well, could that be avoided? Yeah, it could. And Maziato probably looks back and thinks to himself, oh, what was I doing? Yeah, you think? But that said, he didn't think that until he hit the wall because there's so much going on there and there's so much movement within that pack because the speeds are less than obviously we see on some of the bigger bikes. It allows so many more people to be involved because our rules are so close. Now, Running around the high banks of Daytona, as fun as it might be, especially some of those that have never done it or whatever the case is, when you get drawn up into that draft of an 8-9 bike rider field, it is very, how can I explain this? It's it's there, You don't have a lot of options. And as an older guy, when I look at guys like Hayes or even Posh who's experienced and all those guys that are experienced, they'll just back off, especially if they know that there's still more laps to be ran. But when you have a bunch of young guys, you got to remember our Junior Cup kids are coming up from this class. And we've got guys that are hungry to win that have been there for a year or two. That class this year is going to be insane, by the way. Twins Cup all year long is going to be insane. Um, But I found myself hardly waiting to see this race to, oh my gosh, I don't want to watch anymore. And, And then when he ran into the wall, I mean, Greg, both tires were off the ground hitting that wall. He slammed it. And a a credit to him and all the riders around him for the bike handling skills of (laughs) not going down, right? That could have been catastrophic. I talked to Posh. I did that interview with him yesterday, and he was with Uh Maziato, and he said Maziato's still shaking two days later from that incident. It it was scary for everybody involved. You know, I made the comment, Jay, it was a Moto3 race without the experience of Moto3 riders. But, you know, you've got to get experience somehow. And, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a frantic race. It was good. In the first race, you had a couple incidents. There were a couple really fast riders like Hayden Schultz and Ben Galati and Marcone didn't finish that race. They were the only three. And I mean, the yep. slowest lap of fastest lap of those guys was Schultz at a 59 flat. So there were some really good racing across the board. The second race was, was totally different. There were quite a few DNFs in that one, including our boy, uh, Ed Sullivan, who crashed like last lap, he tucked the front. He Did he me. crash? Is that what happened? Yeah, he crashed last lap. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But with yeah. that said, he and I are talking about taking that R7. And by the way, Yamaha oh, won no. both races. No, we yeah, go. we're going to endurance race. We're going to do an endurance race together. Oh. Ed, Ed Way's uh, probably... How's that? Wait, hold, just stop. Yes, You're not ahead. talking about the... How's that going to happen, Greg? I beg your pardon? What do you mean? You've got a guy that weighs a condo and a guy that weighs a condo. nothing. How's this going to work out? A garden hose versus a condo? 
Um, <laughs> it'll work out. In 2007, I raced with Melissa Paris. You know, we what I do is you just get soft suspension. I get on the brakes, just go to the bottom of the forks and ride it, baby. What are you gonna do? There's nothing you can do. What are you, know you, you, you gonna do? I just I just put the what junk on do? the tank, so when I accelerate, I'm not loading up the rear. But that, let's not get into riding styles right now because. I love people that sit on the back shock and just you try to, you know, I don't know why it's tank slapping. All right. Yeah. Anyway, I told you Teague Hobbs wins the championship. Let's move on because we have one super hooligans race and Andy Debrino, who I am going to talk to, will have his full interview here. Uh, I'm probably going to talk to him tomorrow. So maybe we'll get a soundbite or two for the podcast next week, but I'll definitely yep. do that on Patreon. On his KTM, man, he drove all the way over from, where does he live? Oregon and by himself. And it was quite an adventure, but he ends up beating Corey West and Tyler O'Hara, both on Indians. And I mentioned it, 0.077, so 77 thousandths of a second for Debrino in his big win. And Debrino, Jason, for his first time at Daytona, you watched that race, I watched that race. I thought it was really well calculated in what he had done. But Debrino had mentioned on the podium that he spent quite a bit of time watching old races and learning, and that was the only resource he had because he hadn't been to Daytona. But that research paid off, and that's being a racer 24-7, right? Yeah, but Andy Debrino, man, he's, he's, how do you explain him? He's capable of riding anything. He's capable of running up front on anything. A lot of it for him has always been just the budget of being able to go and do it. I think that, um, and I'm hoping that he rides more than just hooligans when we go to Atlanta. Because uh, he's been really fast on a stock thousand. Um, he's been racing down at Chuckwalla all off season, And he missed the last round because this guy had to, I talked to him about it before. He says, Jay, I don't think I'm going to make the next round. I said, why? Well, he was getting in his van and driving his van from Southern Cal all the way back up to Oregon to get the bikes worked on, to get the bikes ready to go. And then if you heard his interview, he left on Friday from Oregon and arrived in Florida on Tuesday. And I mean, and he did it on his own. I mean, uh, I I think some people flew down there and, and, and helped him on the weekend, but the guy does all of his own stuff. So, you know. And his, you know, to be fair, his bike didn't look like it was the fastest. It, um, I still think that the other two had a little bit of speed on him. Corey being a big guy, I kind of think pushed a hole in the wind when, because Corey drafted him, and I was, I was telling you when he was drafting him, I'm like Debrino still has a chance to redraft back, which he did. But Tyler O'Hara with one lap to go, those guys are just lucky the race didn't end a lap later because O'Hara had finally caught to the back of them. We saw him have to start from the last row again. And, um, and O'Hara had a great weekend, obviously, with the bagger stuff going, what did he do? He went one, two there in the baggers, and then he finished third in this hooligans race, which, you know, he had a great weekend. So, um, but I think that when we go to some of these other tracks now that aren't going to be about all just horsepower, and I don't know the whole hooligan schedule. I don't know where everywhere they're racing. I think they're racing at Road Atlanta next. Uh, that's, I think Andy was dropping his stuff off in Atlanta and then fly, he flew home yesterday. He was. All right. So, you know seeing what other tracks they run at, but I know the times he does around Chuck Wall on that thing. And when it comes down to, um, when it comes down to some of the, if they go to like a Pittsburgh track or places like that, he is, he's Barber, be, Pittsburgh. Yeah. I've got it. We've got to look at the, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be a problem. For so that was guys. the weekend. So, yeah. Jason and I both had a really good time and all that's cool. Yeah. But then at the same time, when we were done, actually, we got to see uh Supercross from Detroit and in the, Premier class, 450 class, it was Eli Tomac who weathered the storm. He ends up winning again over Malcolm Stewart and Justin Barsha. Muskan, uh, Justin Brayton in fifth place. Uh, Rough one for, I don't know, Chase Sexton, Jason Anderson, Cooper Webb. Shit show, yeah. yeah. 
So tell us so about I was, it. I was at the race itself. Greg and I were sitting in this uh, in the alehouse watching it, and um, you know it was funny, Greg, because you had a super early early flight, and it was all I could do to talk you into hanging out. And then we started kind of getting bombarded with some people, and you ended up rolling. But man, when you look at the accidents, and everybody's bitching about the track. Now I'm not a super cross guy, like in the sense that I don't have any knowledge. I, I have knowledge, but I I'm not in that world. The track, to me, if you look at where all the accidents happened, with the exception of Ferrandis, because I didn't see his, they were all like, like could have happened anywhere. If you look at Cooper Webb, and he held his hand up and said, that was 100% my fault. He, and by fault, it just is, he made a mistake. It wasn't like he did it on purpose. He made a mistake. Sexton lands on top of him. How both of them even walked away from that is insane. Sexton, to me, looked like he could be really, really hurt. His jersey just ripped right off him almost. Cooper Webb, I don't know if you saw it, but Cooper Webb got up and rode around the track one-handed for like two or three laps, just trying to get points before it just became too much. And then if you look at Jason Anderson's accident, when they show him sitting there dazed and confused and out of breath and looking like he's in some sort, like he's hit his head real hard, that wasn't even the accident that did it. He came off the backside of the finish line jump, lost the front, and it looked like it just awkwardly augured him into the ground. And he picked his bike up, and he rolled the next three or four jumps. And as he's rolling him, he's going over to the left and literally runs off the track and tips over. And it wasn't like the second accident wasn't was it wasn't even an accident, and it was no cause of why he was the way he was. Sounds like he's okay. There's got to be, I'm sure, some sort of concussion protocol that he's put into. They'll probably retest and test him. Um, But the accidents were not, I don't feel, necessarily the track. Now, listen to our our counterparts over there at Pulp. I listened to Mathis go around and interview a lot of the the riders after uh, on one of the podcasts. And a lot of them were talking about the dirt and how bad it was. Because there was three different types of dirt. There was rocks all over the place in the dirt. They were saying that they found glass in the dirt. They were saying that they found... Um, cat like a cat femur, like like what the, the dirt hell? Ne- yeah, they were talking about how the dirt needs to be it. You know, because what happens is is that Supercross goes to these tracks and then they house the dirt that they use. So when they come back, that's the same dirt, right? And like Vince Freeze was talking about, he's like that dirt just needs to be sifted. It needs to be gone through because it's there's so many rocks and there's so many other articles of, of stuff in there that are bad that it needs to be kind of gone through so that is pretty crazy to me when you think about that stuff, <laughs> when you think about that it's pretty crazy so yeah plus you mentioned but what that done, they, but they also yeah. talked the fact that you know nobody wants to see their you know their superstars get hurt even the riders that even though they the the people mid-pack may get better results than they normally get nobody wants to see their top guys get hurt so the really neat thing about the pod the podcast after is when you look at um when you look at what Mathis does, he goes to the guys, not just the top guys, but he goes to some of the other guys like the Cade Claysons and the and Varese and Freezy and he talks to these guys. And both Cade Clausen and Freezy both made separate comments about listen, you know, this was a great result for us. It's a great result for our team. It's the best they'd ever done. I think Clayson ended up tenth. And he said he said it, it, all that's great, but we don't need our stars getting this hurt because they're the ones that are bringing in the fans. They were the they're the ones that that we all look up to that we want to kind of race against. And I, it gave great great perspective on a group of guys that we don't normally get to hear about that I'm definitely going to look at differently now moving forward in the series because these guys 
they put in so much hard work. And what I'm really starting to discover, G-Dub, is you get a real sense that even these guys that just qualify for a Supercross, they have to go through timing, then they have to go through heats, they have to go through LCQs. And the fact that they, you know, they call it the Fast 40, the Fast 40 guys qualify, right? To get into that top 22 then is, is such a gigantic accomplishment for a lot of these guys even on, and if they start making it on the 450, that's a big deal. And a couple of the guys were saying, listen, um, I think it was Alex Ray, believe it or not, whose teammates with Clayson said, you know, the fact that my teammate got 10th in a Supercross, there's not that many people at the level that those guys are doing it at can say that they finished top 10. And it doesn't matter how you get there. Um, it was it was some really great perspective. But that Supercross Championship now, I mean, one hand is on the trophy. Eli Tomac looks unbeatable on that Yamaha right now. He ran down Jason Anderson. He passed him on an Eli Tomac type of track, didn't he? I mean, it was very technical and very difficult. He did. There's only seven. I say there's only seven rounds left. They've got 10 in the books. They have seven rounds, so it's just past halfway. But right now, Jay, it's what? Oh, my gosh. I mean, Tomac's got... 229 and Anderson didn't move. He's tied with Malcolm at 187. And of course, those two are going to be tied, right? It just seems like it's while Tomac is off doing his thing, Anderson and Stewart have just been locked in this really weird thing. N nothing that they got caught up in this weekend, but it's just a weird, no. a weird situation. But if so. Stewart can get a start, like you saw what he did in this heat race, that guy is ready to he win. He was fastest qualifier coming gonna... in. Yeah, it's it, yeah. The, the the stars are trying like to align the third or for fourth Malcolm. Time. Yes, yeah. yeah. It, it's they're trying to align for Malcolm. I I think he'll definitely win a race by year's end. Jason in the two fifty class. Jet Lawrence checks out six and a half second lead over Cameron McAdoo, Pierce Brown, uh, R.J. Hampshire, Jordan Smith in that championship. Jet Lawrence has got eight points with four races in the books, and they have five remaining over Cameron McAdoo, and Pierce Brown is ahead of Styles Robertson. So they kind of finished uh, where they are in the championship. Anything you saw in the 250 class that, you know, caught your eye? Well, I mean, you know, Jet Lawrence right now, it seems like he rides at a pace where people have to, in order to catch him, they got to ride a little bit over their edge maybe. Um, he just looks dominant. In a class that we really did think that was going to be ultra close, um, there's some guys right now like Pierce Brown, McAdoo, um, you know, RJ Hampshire. It just seems like little mistakes kind of get RJ, it seems. It's just, it was the same in the outdoors. The guy's got the pace, and I really like the guy. Like it, You can see he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he tries really hard, and he works hard. But, um, you know, there's already talk about Lawrence going up to the 450 jet, that is, moving up to 450s next year um, with with what's going on with Ken Roxon right now that nobody really knows. I did see a post today from Ken Roxon saying that, you know, don't worry, I'm coming back, which is great. Um, not really sure exactly what is going on there. Um, but, you know, right now, 250 East Coast, pretty much dominant by Jet Lawrence. And uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, when those guys get to Vegas uh, for the East-West with with Christian Craig and, and, uh, and Jet, I think that's going to be going to be pretty interesting. Both guys have shown that they can handle the, the fields that they are in. So um, let's just go on real quick, G-Dub, and talk about the most important thing about Supercross. Oh let's talk a little bit about our pulp fantasy. Mm -hmm. And um, when we start looking at it, I know you already kind of um, <laughs> looked at something. Well, Did I mean, you, I can... Why don't I call out like the, dude, winner, I got, the winner? I got lucky. Yeah, yeah the, lucky the winner of Detroit. Let me see. Let me pull this up. So... Not my fifty-one comes in at three hundred and forty-five points. Moto guy thirty at three forty. 
But look, everybody, our boy JP, I mean, he walloped it at 298 points total, but he only finishes P14. Masshole was right behind you. I'm just saying at 294. But uh, if you, you look at it. Did you see who I'm only two points behind in the old. Uh, in the overall? Did you see who I'm in the overall? Have a look. I know you got it up. Are you two, two points, points behind? behind. I'm Ro- two points behind him right now. Uh, you're two points. Be- you're, you're two points behind nobody, stupid. What are you talking about? In over in the overall? Oh wait, maybe oh, this is yeah. still stuck on tech. Oh. Come on, man. You're just hold on. Hold you, on. It's, no, hold on. Just so everybody knows, I'm coming after you, Chuck. Two points behind Chucky. So. Oh I've yeah, been, you are. I was so far back in this thing. I mean, I was 25th. so far back. Yeah, you're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So PM one forty still has me pretty good, but PM one forty is leading the way though, dude. By eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your Where boy did he Nick come from PM one forty three oh seven, killed it. Mm-hmm. He killed it. That's Worst one ninety five. Oh man. Yeah. Like uh, Nick Ceiling had another. I'm gonna have to hear about it now. He had two eighty seven, so I still outscored Nick. So I closed in on him a little. That's good. Jason Pridmore. But, as we look at pop. By the way, if you want to join us, it's. Uh, pulpmxfantasy.com. If you go to the leagues, it's Greg's Garage Podcast is the name of the league. But Jason, I've got a treat for everybody mm. who's listening to this podcast. Let's I need it. you to pick a number between 1 and 153. Give me a number. Uh, One. 71. 71. Let's take a look at 71. Let's go to page number it's 2. Off the top of my head. Is, oh, no way. Arizona Sonic Snake. Isn't that our boy? So I don't know. AZ Sonic Snake, if you're listening to this, you have just won yourself a free subscription to the Moto America Live Plus app where you can check out all Moto America's great coverage all year long. You get all the races and the practices and the qualifyings and all that stuff that goes on. So reach out to me. I'm pretty sure that's our boy, AZ Sonic Who? Snake. Um, uh, Tim from Arizona. It is? I think so. But anyway. No. No, all right. Whoever you are, well, I don't know. Re- reach out to me on social media. Uh, probably Instagram's the best, and get up with me there. Um, I don't know what, what's my Instagram, Greg White TV or something like that. And uh, and I'm gonna give you your instructions and the code for your Moto America Live Plus app. You have just won that. Thank you to Moto America uh, for giving us some codes to hand out. And we'll be doing that over the course of the next couple of weeks as well. Of course, still 10 races to go. Our first, we're going in what, a couple of weeks, Jay? Three, four weeks. We're at MotoGP, right? Like, can't believe it. In Coda already it. with it's the Superbike class. It's so quick, isn't it? it, it dude, That's it definitely great. is. And um, so, yeah. All right. So let's move on to American Flat Track really quickly. Uh, by, the, by, the way, you're, by the way, you're 89th. Just go on now. You're 89th. Nice work. <clears throat> I'm climbing. I was like 99, so obviously I put oh, in yeah. I nice put in a, I put in a heater of a lap last race, <laughs> got myself up to uh, 89th place. So yeah, I'll uh, hopefully I don't have to take a breather next week. And I think it's Indy. Are they are they they're racing next week in Indy? I think this weekend coming up. Anyway, uh, American Flat Track. They ended up getting one of their two races off. The first race that they had scheduled, which was Volusia County number one, got delayed till Saturday. They got rained out as well. So as weird as it sounds. Volusia number two is actually the only race that they've raced this year. And in the premier class, Mission Super Twins, it's Briar Bauman who wins by 1.7 over Bronson Bauman. They are brothers. Our boy J.D. Beach on the Yamaha 
coming in third behind or in front of his teammate Dallas him. Daniels. Good for him. Your defending champ Mees in fifth place, Brandon Robinson, and on back through the field. Danny Eslick was there, by the way, uh, racing, and unfortunately for him, he DNF'd. Tip of the cap to Shana Texter Bauman, who is now in the Mission Super Twins. She ends up finishing 13th. Um, in the Production Twins class, which, of course, our buddy Rispoli was champion of a couple of years ago. Nick Armstrong wins over yep. Dan Bromley and Jesse Janich. That was a tenth of a second, so a good race there. And then on the single side, it's Cody Cop, Yes, son of of uh, who you're thinking of on the Red That's Bull KTM. That's crazy. Joe Cop. Wow. Joe Cop's kid. Yep. Cody Cop wins it over Max Whale and then Dalton uh, Gutierrez or Gauthier, whatever they call him. So, and of course, those things. Um, and apparently the... Royal Enfield build train race was won by a tenth of a second. So that race was also wow, another. That was close too. Yeah, another. They were lucky to race. get that stuff in, man. I tell, I was laughing because I was making the joke that you know, it just seems like that class or that series is just struck with horrible weather all the time, dirt track. And I was laughing because I was like, you know, um, it's it's. It's not Motor America's fault this time that it rained as much as it. I did. told like fifteen it, people we'll, that you we'll said that by AFT. the way. I told I, That's great. every single person I said that to just chuckled. They all their hate ass me off. now. Yeah. Well, of course there's so, rain. Flat tracks here. So you know what I was thinking, G Dub, real quick. You no, know what I, I was don't. thinking Monday morning when I came out of my when I came out of the hotel. It was 36 degrees at, at at the hotel right next to the track on Sunday morning when I left, and I'm like, it was so cold that I was thinking, you know, that I think they practice weren't they starting practices at like 8:30 in the morning? Mm-hmm. Yes. It would have been a completely Daytona. If the if it was that cold, it would have been a total yard sale if they would have put bikes. On the it would have been miserable mm-hmm. had it been that cold. And we were there one year, and I gotta think it's like 2013 when it was that cold. And do you remember like stock 600 went out, and there was like I want to say there was like 16 crashes in the first session. And, yes. And Ashton Ashton crashed twice, I think, in the chicane. Ashton Yates. I remember that just being something that stood out in my brain. I'm like, I'm just glad that with the you know, it's almost like. You'll take rain delays and good weather over super, super cold at Daytona. Because super, super cold at Daytona, I remember testing there like that. It's, that, it's No, not and you have the special tires, too, at Daytona. They're going to hold Correct. up on the left side. And so they're a lot harder than anything else anybody rides. And yeah, problem, 100%. So yeah, Moto America did such a great job of dodging that bullet because it would have been Ugh. a nightmare of a day. And it never really warmed up. It's why my flight ended up getting canceled was because of the cold weather. You know, they don't have any, uh, any, any glycol or anything, I don't think, down at Daytona Beach and... At the airport, so it was a it was a thingy, majiggy bobber. But anyway, yeah, pretty wild, man. Say goodbye pretty, to Daytona till next wild. year. We're moving on. Daytona, goodbye. Let's talk about this weekend. GW MotoGP is back. Second Let's round. Let's go. Let's go in Indonesia. Uh, I am. I am. Opti- I'm scared to be honest with you a little bit about this weekend because they repaved a bunch of the track, and it seems like they were just testing there a month ago. That's correct. And I don't know too many places that are great to ride within that short a period of time of just getting repaved. Oh, and, I'm sure Michelin's stressing out a little bit about it too. Ooh, I bet there's a lot of people stressing out. Um, the amount of money it takes to get there, the amount, I, everybody seems to love the area. It seems like a great place. Now, I meant to reach out to like a few of my little world superbike contacts that I have. Um, my little world superbike contacts. <laughs> well, because Greg, I gotta be fair. Yeah. I wasn't that keen on the track when I watched it. The layout like, itself. I I think a lot of times you can look at a racetrack with the experience that we've got as far as racetracks go, and when you can kind of think to yourself, 
hey, that place looks great. That place looks unreal. But you think about the two tracks that World Superbike went to last year. I believe one of them was in Spain and one of them was in Czech, right? Most. Yeah, most. Czech. I, those two tracks to me didn't look that great. Why? They looked... Why? I'll tell you why. I, you, well, you, you're, gonna, at, you're not going to want to hear it from me. The track most looked like club race type of track right. where it's all so one-lined and it's so hard to pass... Computer-generated road courses suck, assholes. Yeah. yeah, you always talk about that, don't you, about computer-generated places. And <clears throat> Mandalika, to me, when I watched World Superbike there, the racing was incredible. It was really, really, really good. But there was a lot of weather there. There was a lot of delays there. I don't think that everybody quite had their shit together there. So it's kind of like have a solid weekend there, and we'll see. I'm very interested in MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, going and racing there this weekend. I'm excited about the prospects. I think that you're going to have another crazy podium finish. I think that we are out of that place now where you're going to get the same people week in and week out winning every single time. It, I, I don't. It, I just don't think it's going to be like that. How many t- different winners do you think we could legitimately have this year? 11 popped into my head, but that seems ridiculous. But 11. I'm going to say 8. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Eleven um, seems a little high, but it's just a number that popped in, so I was like, I'm going with it. But so it's gonna be another interesting weekend from the perspective of teams have tested there. There hasn't been anything really, you know, that the the bikes have been on a transporter. It's not like teams went back to Europe and started, you know, building parts and pieces and those types of things. So there is a knowledge base, but you're like you're saying, it's the track, who what's gonna happen with tires, what's gonna happen with grip, what's the weather looking like? I haven't even checked that. So the good news is, is that if the track is redone and the asphalt is like crazy good, if it rains and they did the right thing and graded it properly and all that kind of stuff, um, it's going to be good in the wet. However, you know what it kind of reminds me of, Jason? Do you remember when Laguna Seca got repaved right before they came and then we had that unbelievable hot weather, 100-something degrees. They were coming down from the corkscrew and literally dug a freaking divot in the middle of the racetrack. And it was like a rut. Like a rut. It was 100% of a rut. And... I'm I'm thinking, well, isn't that kind of the weather in Mandalika? Like, isn't it supposed to be really hot? And they just repaved it, and has, has it had time to cure? Like, I just don't know. I think I think it's aggressive that they did it, but they had to do it because people were complaining about the surface. And to you know, to the credit of uh, the people that run that circuit, they got it done. I guess. I mean, I guess it's you look and you look about it about how much complaining there was at Coda last year, and those guys, they basically got what they get, Greg, six months to do it. <clears throat> yes. At Coda, because we were there racing in October, were we not? Yes. I believe it was October. About, about so they months. essentially got about six months to get that redone, and I think that Coda will be great. I think that the guys won't complain much, as much about it uh, as far as the payment goes. But, man, it's only been three or four weeks since these guys tested, four weeks since they tested there. The power that these bikes are putting down. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this weekend. I think that... I'm glad that this race is happening at the second round and not like the 15th round where it could really have a... I mean, every race weekend is just as important as the next, but um, getting this round kind of out of the way uh, and seeing how it goes. Prediction-wise, I know Paul Spargo went quick there. I know Nakagami went quick there. It's going to be really interesting to see um, how the KTMs roll around that place. Uh, Very, very... it's it's predictably unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I think this weekend. And what's Ducati going to do with Pecco? Right, like Pecco, he's he's been complaining. I don't want to be a test rider and all that stuff. So there's some things to be decided. 
Make sure you join us in our MotoGP fantasy. It's still early days. You still have a chance, but 303 yeah. people now, Jason, in the league joining us. It's the Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. You go to MotoGP.com or you can go to Fantasy.MotoGP.com. Join our league. We're giving away an Arai helmet, um, you know, of a Corsair X of your choice at the end of the year for the person who wins the league. The one thing we didn't get to talk about was our little side thing, our RM Supercross Fantasy with with oh, um, yeah. with Jonathan Ray. But we're, we'll talk more about that next week because... Johnny Ray has been active on the RM Fantasy, had Very. worked his way up into the top five and slid a little bit into sixth. And maybe we'll have to get a comment from him, if I can reach out to him, get a comment about how he's been doing on Fantasy. Because I know he's been texting you, you know? I'm like the, he, I'm like the, he I'm the third wheel. Messages. I'm yeah, the third he's, wheel. He's right. Yeah, he's funny. Well, it's good. I mean, look, the guy's engaged and he's having a good time with it with us. And he's, he cracks me up because he's. Yeah, and that's for our Patreon supporters. So, you, yeah, you know. He texts me about. He texted me one morning. I just woke up. He says, you're killing it in fantasy. And it was before I'd got to watch MotoGP at Doha. So I was like, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if that's fantasy or which one it is. But it was, you know, he obviously he's engaged with the R. With the Maybe R he knew that you were out there doing laps at Chuck Walla and, you know, with your students and was just like, wow, you're ripping. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what he said. I'm sure. <laughs> Jason's on the um, trail, people. All right, so you're off. You're off to go shoot some bows and be Robin Hood yeah, tomorrow, I got, correct? I'm commentating Thursday and Saturday nights as well. Don't you think it would be like a really cool media day press thing before a Moto America race if you could shoot an apple off the top of Chuck's head? Off of your head? That's not nice. With That's Chuck, not nice. Chuck Axman, I would be shaking because I don't want to miss. You, it'd be calm, cool, and collected. Just boom. Is that right? Oh, yeah. No problems. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to get a big apple. A big, big apple. Uh, um, anyways, this has been a long one. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Thanks, G-Dub, for a great time at Daytona and a good race call. And uh, looking forward to having a weekend off. We'll be back next week, folks. <laughs>